0: Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Blair Embry, and I am hosting the Prison Yoga Project podcast today, and we are absolutely honored to have Gillian Hick. Thank you so much for joining us. Great to be here, Blair. Very exciting. So, this conversation is going to be about transitions. Uh, the title of this conversation is A Journey of Chaplaincy and Yoga in Ireland's Prisons with Gillian Hick. I'll read her bio and then she's going to lead us in a centering opportunity. Gillian Hick, registered yoga teacher, 200 hour, has been facilitating trauma informed yoga in Ireland since 2019, having attended the PYP training in London in 2018. She has been recent. Uh, excuse me. She has been working as a veterinary surgeon for the past 25 years, and is currently training to become a prison chaplain. Thank you so much for being here.
1: Yeah, great, Blair. Delighted to be here. Privileged.
0: Will you lead us in a centering opportunity? I'd love to. Thank you. So, yeah,
1: I thank you all for being here. It's just such an amazing community to be a part of. I joined it four years ago, so. For myself, as much as you all, you know, if we just start taking a few minutes, we've all rushed to get here. For me, it's evening, coming home from a day's work. So just, you know, in in your own time, can you let yourself land here? If you need to stretch, you know, you might want to stretch out your arms, roll your shoulders, just starting to become aware of your own body, you know, where are the tensions? Is there anywhere you need to release? in whatever way you need to and then when that feels okay just starting to rest in your chair and your couch and your beanbag sitting on the floor wherever you are so for me i always like to take off my shoes i love to feel the sense of my feet on the earth so whenever you feel ready just to settle as you are whoever it feels comfortable you might like to let your eyes close if that feels like a safe space just start to watch what's going on. If you can, let go of where you've come from. So whatever you've come from in the last few minutes or this day, can you leave that there? Can you leave it behind you and be present as you are? And whatever you're going to after this time we're sharing together, again, can you rest back to one side just for this short time? so that we really give our intention to each other and our attention to each other. So allowing the weight of the body to rest into whatever surface you're resting on. I'd invite you just to be curious about your breath, to see how it is at this moment. There's no expectation of how it should be. Just a curiosity watching the breath as it is. Maybe if you like to bring your attention to the exhale. So depending on how you're seated, as you exhale, can you allow the weight of the body drop either into your seated position at the soles of the feet? So with each exhale, can you let the weight of the body drop, rest a little deeper? And is there anywhere you can allow that breath to be more complete so really releasing everything anything that it feels all okay to release can you really release that with each exhale so the breath just starts to slow without forcing it just allowing it with that watchful presence letting the breath release and then at the end of the exhale can you notice the pause So instead of rushing on to the next breath, can you make space for that pause? Just a little invitation, quietness, no rush to move on. If you like, you can stay with that or you might want to bring your awareness then to the inhale. So as you inhale, can you make space in the chest, the lower belly for that breath to expand, to lift the body? And is there any way without force it, can you allow space for the invitation for that breath to become a little bit more complete? It's like a gentle invitation just to invite space into the body. Just a gentle expansion. And at the top of the inhale, again, can you allow for the pause? Can you notice a small gap? Just that experience of the body fully expanded before you release it in. Who's noticing anywhere in the body there is tension or tightness? With the exhale, can you release? With the inhale, can you invite space? And if you can't, if there's an area of tension you need to just be aware, just to notice, bring your curiosity to it. Be aware that it's there without judgment. and then dropping into that awareness of your own self. Can you gently expand that to the group together, practicing, witnessing, sharing? I'd just like to share these words of Irish philosopher John O'Donoghue as we're in this space together. It's called Bannock. And it goes like this on the day when the weight deadens in your shoulders and you stumble. May the clay dance to balance you. And when your eyes freeze behind the grey window and the ghost of loss gets into you. May a flock of colours, indigo, red, green and azure blue come to awaken in you a meadow of delight. And when the canvas phrase and the kirk of thought and the stain of ocean blackens beneath you, may there come across the waters, a path of yellow moonlight to guide you safely home. May the nourishment of the earth be yours. May the clarity of light be yours. May the fluency of the ocean be yours. May the protection of the ancestors be yours. And so may a slow wind work these words of love around you, an invisible cloak to mind your life. Just an Irish blessing to this group of people we are conscious of, the presence we bring, the suffering we witness, the transformation we try to hold space for. And being aware of the need for our own protection in that space, so we can be at our best for those we serve. Being aware again of the weight of the body resting how it is, and in the own time, letting the eyes open, coming back to the space making contact with those around us and just that that sense of who we are and what we do in this space.
0: I feel like that centering really embodied the honour, the sacredness and the privilege of what it is that we do and where we get to serve. So thank you so much.
1: Blair, it is, it's a privilege. I think we need to acknowledge that.
0: Thank you for doing so. Thanks Blair. What's your first memory of <laughs> mindfulness or yoga?
1: Wow, well, that's a good question. I I would say I was in my 40s when I started yoga. As, as I disclosed earlier, I'm 50 now. and I would say my first memory of mindfulness was being with animals, where animals drop you into a space. And then I was many years working in a veterinary practice and stressed and burnt out. And I very cynically went to a yoga class going, oh, we will do this on Tuesday night, or what else would you do? And I, I went through a few different classes and then I came to a class where I found my own teacher, a very amazing guy, Anthony Carney's fabulous Irish teacher. And I remember dropping into a space. It was an Ashtanga practice, which I loved passionately for 10 years. I couldn't get enough of it. And it was like the busyness of the Ashtanga movement. It... I I I'm I'm an addict. As I say to the guys in prison, like the only difference between me and them is my addiction is socially acceptable. I'm a workaholic, I'm a doer, I'm a maker, you know. So I have that need to be always, or I had, I'm not so bad now, to be always doing. So Vishlanka was great for me because you were always doing. And somehow in the doing and the movement and that, the yoga, the real experience snuck up on me. So I came to that space of, you know, within a class over afterwards going, wow, what happened? And I I couldn't name it. I couldn't verbalize it. But I just kept going back. And people would go, wow, aren't you amazing? You practice seven days a week. And I was going, no, I can't survive without it. So I became the yoga addict, actually. (laughs) So in a way, that was a healthy addiction. I transferred a work addiction to a yoga addiction. And then... Over time, the addiction to the movement slowed and now it's the addictions to the sitting, to the silence, to the witnessing, to the presence, that much calmer, much quieter, much less focus on doing much more a sense of being. So it, it took me maybe 15 years of regular practice. So now I, I don't do a lot of asana practice but I never finish a day without sitting. And that could be for five minutes. That could be for an hour. That could be for two hours. So I I think that's the real experience of yoga is that sense of the presence of yourself and that stillness that just blew me away.
0: I always love hearing our stories of how we found this work and how we got into Mm -hmm. it as well. And I think that's so many of our stories is that we come in with a struggle or that our practice mirrors to us, you know, our addiction or our busyness or whatever it is. And then our practice also holds us as we transform and shift too. It's incredible. Yeah. So mm, mm, how did you, yeah, it's a great
1: way to describe it.
0: How, how did you, find prison work or what was the seed of knowing that you wanted to serve in prisons?
1: That's a great question and it sounds like such an obvious question but one I've never really found the answer to. I I do remember distinctly in one practice where I was doing trikonasana in a group of people and the teacher came by and as he came by he just gave a tiny little adjustment and that sense of space and I remember just in that moment going, wow, this could change lives in prison. But I had no background in prison, no experience of prison. So I don't know where that came from. I wish I did. And it was just that sense. So I had a very busy life. Like I was running veterinary practice. I had three kids. I didn't need another job to do, but I just got this into my head. And I'm, I'm an addict. If I go after something, I would keep at it. I don't know whether that's a, a good or a bad thing. So... Over the years, as the practice deepened, I, you know, started to pursue training, but 100% with the intention to teach in a prison. I never had any interest in teaching anywhere else. Um, I did meet in a, a local church group. There was, I don't know whether people on this side of the continent know two amazing heroes. This is Father Peter McFerry and his sister Arnalda Wickham. They are the heroes of prison work they're a, a priest and a chaplain who held the space for prison work and homeless and addiction and they came to give a talk in their local parish and i remember going oh, God, in a church meeting and i'll be the youngest one here i better go show up and i remember sitting and crying solidly for the whole 40 minutes because how they spoke their their depth of witnessing and love of the people they served and their commitment and their their addiction their passion to the work they did was powerful and there was a cup of tea afterwards and again I was going I'll oh, just do a bunk you know but I said no I better go and sit down and this sister Imelda Wickham sat beside me and I was, I was completely humbled I could hardly speak to her and I remember saying to her well, I'd love to teach yoga in prison she's oh sure come on in tomorrow the lads would be delighted to have you but I so regret well in, maybe not but you know, I could have gone in the door that day, but I was only a couple of years practicing. I would no training. And I said, oh, I want to come back. And I tried to organize other people to go in and they didn't want to know about it. But ironically, now today, I spent the day sitting in Sister Mel Melda Wickham's desk. She has now retired, but her name is still on her desk. So now I'm sitting in her desk as a prison chaplain. <laughs> and she's in her 80s now, but she's still perfectly connected with the prison so she rings at least once a day to check in on us. So I'm going, hello Melta. <laughs> no, I'm, in, I'm still in your desk. And they were doing a bit of renovation lately they pulled all the desks out and they were saying, oh, we'll change the name. I was going, no, please don't, please don't change the name, you know? So I suppose people like that, when you saw people involved in the work and then eventually I qualified as a yoga teacher and thought, great, wrote to all the prisons and everyone here who teaches in the prison knows this part of the story took years. So eventually I, and at the time, I'm sort of glad because my intention was to teach Eshtanga. And then when I went to the prison yoga project training, I saw a completely different path and side to it. So I'm sort of glad in a way I didn't get in when I got in because I think I'd have been coming from a wrong angle. I wouldn't have had that trauma awareness. So when I finished the training in London, I rewrote all the prisons again and they ignored me again. So then I did a diploma, a psychology diploma and said, okay, they're not taking this seriously. So I did a psychology diploma in addiction, one in addiction and one in trauma and PTSD. So at this stage, I'm going, I'm a yoga teacher, I'm a trauma-informed yoga teacher, I have a diploma in addiction and, you know, all of these things. But then eventually it was through a connection with the chaplain. Uh, there was an open day in an open prison and I bullied somebody into who was involved to talking to the chaplain and they came back with a phone number. And I went, oh, great. And that's where the whole thing opened up. So I met with the chaplain there and she said, great, come on in. And then I started that just doing a workshop. And when I look back at the workshop, it was, it was amazing. It was, apps, it was that sense of, oh, wow, I'm actually standing in a prison with 12 men teaching yoga, it was powerful. And, and you know, for, from then it progressed. It wasn't straightforward, but just kept showing up. And, you know, that's what I would advise anyone trying to get into it. You will have to work unbelievably hard to get into prison yoga. You know, don't expect the doors to open. I, I was very jealous when I heard James' story of how he was just invited into a prison to teach yoga. I'm going, God, why didn't that happen for me? but if it's something you're serious about you will have to work so hard but i would really so recommend it if it's something you're committed to
0: thank you i love i when you were explaining that when you were in trikanasana i i almost it was like the idea or your destiny or or your path was like was already in your body and you just needed to mm it almost like get into a pose and then it, it like, it, it blossomed. It like, it came up or like came up through the heart. That's kind of what yeah. I saw. And, and then like your path forward, it's just always so amazing of how I feel like these helpers and these people come in and they come onto our path to be able to be of service yeah. and to be able to offer these tools of transformation. And I love your story.
1: Yeah. Thanks Blair. But yeah, yeah it, it was that sense of a space appearing. And that's why when I when I when I you know I'm in the prison, I will always talk whether we're practicing or breathing or meditating about trying to find that sense of space, you know. So it's never focus is never on the posture or the shape. It's about moving a way that you find space. Because I think when you have that space, your life opens up. So that would always be my intention when I'm in in the prison.
0: And will you? talk to us about what a chaplain is and then maybe hmm. like what a chaplain does and then what a prison chaplain is.
1: Yeah, that that's a huge question that I've spent the last two years in college doing my master's discussing because it's there's no simple answer. You can say, what is a yoga teacher? What's a psychologist? What's a doctor? What's a class officer? And it's very simply defined a chaplain is, it's a very unique role, it's a very privileged role. So in its essence, it's a spiritual support Would probably, if you said you've, you know, one way of describing it. So each chaplain comes from their own faith tradition. So for me, I'm Catholic chaplain, so it's my sort of faith tradition that has brought me to the place that I feel this desire to serve within the prison. But when I'm there as a chaplain, it's your faith brings you there, but my faith, not their faith. So when we engage as chaplains, we engage with everyone equally. It's never a religious thing as such. You're, you are representing your own faith tradition, but you're chaplain to all. So it's that a sense of spiritual support. And I think prison chaplain, I'm completely biased, of course, but I think the space of the prison chaplain is the most real for me because chaplain a chaplaincy, a lot of it is sitting with people in suffering, being a presence with them through suffering, helping them find purpose, helping them find hope, helping them find joy. So in a sense, you could argue we're not doing a lot. so it's a hard to put down on pen and paper or produce an economic value of a chaplain. and yet the encounters we have are so authentic and have the potential to be so transformative. So, you know, we would spend a lot of time with individuals if so. If somebody can request to see a chaplain, we can spend a time with whatever. And there is it's a completely confidential space. So if somebody has a concern, they know they can bring that to you. We can hold that space for them. We can offer suggestions, but it'll always stay with us. Another big role we would have would be interacting with families. So, you know, it might be that you have somebody and their son is in prison and they're very concerned about that. So supporting the family around that is huge as well. You have partners to so say there's young kids, and the, the partner is in prison. That's a huge stress on the family outside. Um, so there's all that aspect of it, you're supporting the person in prison, you're supporting the family around. You're also, I I think, a huge thing a prison chaplaincy is that sense of advocacy and social justice. So you're trying to advocate for them, whether that's with an officer, with the governor, with the parole board. You're trying to present or help them to present the best sense of who they are, because sometimes they don't see that. They get into this sense of, I'm worthless, I can do nothing. So our job is to recognise in them, you know, they're. You know, from my context, I can say they're divine made in the image of God because each person comes to me in that context and it's there. It's in every one of them. And if I can recognize that in them and reflect it back to them, then suddenly they start to get this sense of well, she sees this in me, it must be there somewhere. Now, it's probably not a conversation they have in their head, but you see people start to change. So, you know, they come to you and they're disheartened and they're disillusioned and they're troubled. And sometimes it happens quite suddenly. Sometimes it takes days or weeks or months. And then you just start to see this change in them. they start to get a sense of their own worth, of their own value. And then how they interact with each other starts to change as well. So, you know, from my own tradition, you know, the the greatest commandment is love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, I think those two words, as yourself, are the most neglected word in scripture because what happens to these men, their background and their trauma and their history, and as everyone who's involved in prison work knows, there's always a story behind the story of why they got there. And that damages them so much. They become so vulnerable, so wounded that they completely disconnect with that self of, of loving yourself. So, in many cases, from a very early age, they're fed into this story that they're worthless, they're bad, they've done bad things. And there's no doubt that they have. You know, it's not in any way ever to condone what they've done or to walk away from that sense of responsibility. And sometimes I find that as a chaplain, it's helping them to recognize what they have done and to find acceptance, you know, to, to feel responsible for that. And then coming back to that sense of your own self-worth. Because your crime or what you've done is not who you are. It's part of your story, but it's not innately who you are. So as a chaplain, if you can recognize that divine sense in them, and then you can reflect back and help them see it in themselves, that's where chaplaincy can be so transformative. You know, I think it's some
0: internet language but you're doing god's work that's that's what i hear is that yeah
1: I, again i i would always be very conscious that you know i come with my own faith but that's not for me to put that faith in others you know we do not try to convert people or that but i you know in college we would do a, a weekly reflection on what's happened and how you dealt with them that's brought to supervision and i will often say something suddenly dropped into a god encounter And that's how I do see it. You're you're having a casual conversation with somebody and then suddenly a word is said. So in the open prison, you could be with a group of men and we're having a chat and it's all very lighthearted. And then somebody goes a bit quiet and the other lads might drift off. And then you get this sense. And I think, again, with the yoga practice, when you have developed that sense of noticing when things go still. So you get this sense of something's going very still And then the story unfolds. And that's what I would call dropping into a god character. And that's what it feels like. And, you know, the whole key when you come to that stage is to get your own agenda out of the way, get your own ego out of the way, get your own story out of the way and just be present. So, again, the whole thing, we're not there to fix or to heal. We're there to serve. And we do that service by witnessing. Mm -hmm. you know witnessing them completely as they are in their fullness and their brokenness and their woundedness and again for Japanese you have to be through so Henry Noyne the French um, priest he has this whole beautiful concept of the wounded healer so you need I think people who've had a very simple straightforward life well who has but you know if you haven't had your own issues and integrated and learned to work around those you've been in that darkness yourself and found space in it and not shut down or maybe shut down and opened up again then you have that presence in you that you can sit with other people in their darkness and that's again goes back to your god encounter
0: can you talk to us about the irish system the carceral system there what does it look like yeah
1: so I'm very new to it, so I'm a, <laughs> not the best person in the world, but I suppose my experience, it's its very small relative to America. I'm overwhelmed when I hear the American stories. So there's about 4,000 people, mainly men, within the system, which probably to you guys looks tiny. <laughs> there's 12 prisons, 10 closed prisons and two open prisons, um, mostly around Dublin. Um, and then there's Cork, there's Limerick, which would be the opposite end of the country. So my first my, my yoga teaching and my first year student placement was within an, an open prison. And now I'm in a closed prison. And that was a sort of interesting transition because my sort of introduction to prison was with James um, and Joseph and through the Prison Yoga Project training, and they were talking about security and maximum security and death row and this really intense system. And I was like, absolutely terrified. So when I first got into the open prison, I was coming in with this expectation of the huge security. But an open prison, I, I don't think all countries have that. It's, it's uh, you know, the whole concept about an open prison is, is about rehabilitation before release. So it will, any of the men in there will be deemed low security, low risk. So they will all have, you know, progressed well through their sentence within closed prison. Uh, We would have a significant number of lifers and, you know, that's long term sentence prisoners. Their preferred term is lifer. So that's why I would use that term. The rest of the residents would be on shorter sentences near release. So again, the lifers would be getting close to the terms of their release So if somebody has spent 20, 30 years in a cell, obviously release from that context would be a disaster. So the idea is they come to the open prison for a couple of years with a a plan, you know, to put in place in terms of rehabilitation and reintegrating them into society. So there would be a plan in place with them. Doesn't always happen according to plan, unfortunately, but, you know, there would be a plan for education, for training, for looking at accommodation there would be a gradual release that would be initially a what would be called an A.M.P. a day release that would progress to an overnight temporary temporary release then a weekend temporary release so instead of just dropping from a closed prison cell into society they would be transitioned slowly through so you know, it, it's a great initiative It has great potential. So when you're in the open prison, they there are no, they, they would have their rooms. The shorter sentence prisoners would be in a dormitory style. Uh, the lifers would have their own room in a different house. But there's no closed doors, there's no cells, there's no bars, there's no gates. So that sounds fantastic, but it has huge challenges, particularly for the people who've come from a long sentence. Because they come from, you know, a very close structure where they're in their cells so many hours a day, and their release time is very structured, so there's a plan, and they know what they're doing. They obviously become completely institutionalized in that. So when you come to the open prison, they can often develop a huge anxiety around that loss of structure, the loss of having a plan, the the loss of a confined space. It sounds crazy, but that can be really hard for them to negotiate having the freedom. Um, A lot of them would talk about the fear around opening the door. So something as simple as they will stand in the room afraid to open the door because they haven't done that in 20 years. And, you know, stories like that, I think, really made me realise like, wow, these people are so vulnerable. They, They actually led me to this huge imposter syndrome because I was going, who am I to be trying to be with them, you know, and... I often say it to them, particularly the more long-term sentence guys, that okay, I'm going to college, I'm doing a master's, but they're my teachers because they have that very unique experience that you can't learn in a book or a lecture. So it's really their experience informs what I do and how I interact. So I, I have my my new phrase that I've completely coined myself. I think I call it responsive theology. So, you know, it's that sense of theology, but I am responding to need. So I'm not coming into the prison with this is my plan. This is what I'm going to do. This is how I'm going to do it. I'm coming into the prison with my own sense of who I am, my own sense of, you know, that intention to just dis- to serve. And then with that responsiveness to them. So to just see what their needs are, how I can respond to it. So that is led by them more than by me. And and I think that gives them a great sense of empowerment. They love, you know, telling their story and sort of helping me understand how they process things, helping me understand the challenges. And then everyone that shares that with me gives me, you know, I can't say to the next person, listen, I know how you feel because I don't, because I've never been in that situation. But I can say I don't know how you feel, but I know a guy who told me that when he came down, he felt completely overwhelmed. And then they go, "Okay, this is normal." So I find that whole thing really helpful. But it's very much that sense of stepping out of what you think you're doing, you know. But sorry, I'm just remembering the question was about the Irish prison system.
0: <laughs> never, yeah. apo- never apology, right? Like we we're here. Yeah. I can- did
1: you warn like, you. Don't let me talk. <laughs>
0: what what are some themes that you hear from the men and how does yoga and chaplaincy support them working through some of these themes yeah
1: I I think again we sort of talked before there's always sort of been a, a sort of challenge between not always but in some context between yoga and chaplaincy I found it's fantastic to have the two of them because I started as a yoga teacher and a certain cohort of men would engage with that and that was great. But there was another group that not come to yoga like that's for women, <laughs> you know. So when I sort of told them that I was going to go into the chaplains world, their first reaction without exception was, but you're not very holy. <laughs> I'm going, thanks, lads. No no judgment, <laughs> you know, <laughs> So they say I'm not very holy, which I personally take as a compliment. (laughs) But when I started as a chaplain, the guys who engaged with me in yoga were like a little bit sort of wary of us going, oh, she's not who we thought she was. But a different set of people would engage with you. So what I found now, it took them a while. Some would see me as the yoga teacher. Some would see me as the chaplain. And then it settled. Then they sort of went, oh, no, she's actually just Gillian. That's fine. But... You will certainly with the two roles, you will just engage with different people. And the essence of both is doing a very similar job. You know, it's it's about finding your own self and finding balance in yourself, finding a way to hold yourself in a space that's healing. Um, so, you know, the men in prison, the, the stories are horrific. Uh, again, that whole sense of every person has a story of why they came. So some of them won't be able to verbalize that story or discuss it or acknowledge it or express it. So they might come to yoga, and they might find through the movement, through the breath, through the bit of stillness, they'll say, "Wow, I don't know why, but like I actually feel good after that." Now they can't put words in that. One of them, he came up one night and he said, "You know, it's Thursday nights. My favorite, it's my favorite hour of the week." And I said, "Yeah, mine too, actually," (laughs) but. Others then wouldn't engage in that sort of body breath work, but they will want to come and tell their story. So they will sit with me in the chaplain's office for an hour, not straight away, but when they get to know you, they see you around. I think because I'm there two days a week, one day as a chaplain, one day as a yoga teacher, you're a more familiar presence. So, you know, one of them said, oh, sure, you're, you're just part of the furniture now. So to me, that was a big win. If I'm part of the furniture, they're okay with me and um, so that I suppose you're, you're able to meet them from different angles so the problems they bring whether they express them through bodywork or through conversation and um, you know we would have some opportunities so like this month is you know we traditionally remember people who have died in November so we had a service for that I will do a winter solstice meditation um 21st of December because different people were like that. Last year we had a service of reconciliation. So we had a Catholic priest. I led the circle with a Catholic priest. We did a little bit of meditation, a little bit of writing down, a little bit of burning intentions. So you just try to meet people from different angles. So again, it's never about my agenda, it's trying to open up the space and open up the circle for them. Um, and again, being a chaplain, like when I started, I'd, I'd been there as a yoga teacher for a few years. So I knew a little small area of the prison. I knew the men. I knew a couple of officers that were on that night when I started as a chaplain. Then I was involved in like weekly multidisciplinary meetings. And to be honest, that was terrifying initially because I, I almost felt like I would betrayed them because it was going suddenly they're looking at her in this meeting and they were going, what's she doing with them, you know? But that was amazing for me because I got to see how that multidisciplinary team works and actually the tremendous, the work they do. I was really pleasantly surprised. To me, multidisciplinary was about getting in trouble. And it was such a naive, childish view. I picked up from them, really. It was quite funny in hindsight when I saw my reaction was their reaction. But when I started to become a part of that team, there's actually quite a powerful team of people working on behalf of the residents, and, you know, advocating them and supporting them, but the men don't see that. So as chaplain, that's our main role, but I was actually amazed how many of the other discipline staff are on the same page as us, really. That was great. Now, they sometimes can't express that as much because, you know, you have to be in charge and you have to be tough. But it was actually lovely for me to get the insight into the management side as well. I find that amazing, you know, so... And again, as a chaplain, you're a little bit, you're bridging the gap between them. So that's another role I didn't see as a part of it as a chaplain. But again, you know, with the yoga, you're limited to one area. As a chaplain, physically, I can go anywhere in prison. And um, so that added huge scope as well. That You know, was a big benefit that I didn't have with the yoga.
0: Which is incredible. And I really see and hear being able to be the bridge in so many of these Mm. different areas of their life within the system and advocating for them. What else has really surprised you about either chaplaincy in prisons or offering yoga in prisons that you couldn't or didn't imagine before you started going inside? Yeah, I,
1: I think the people People within the prison, the men themselves, you know, to people who haven't. If if you say prisoner, I work with prisoners in a group of people sitting wherever, you get this sense of freeze almost. People have this sense of fear or revulsion or judgment or you know, I don't buy newspapers. I don't listen to the news because I, I actually couldn't. It would annoy me too much. You know, one would depress me. But more people coming in, you know. But I think the tremendous humanity you see in the men, and one of the chaplains I work with, she she describes the men as the hidden treasure in society, and I so completely get that because really I have learned so much from the men themselves. They, you know, as I I say to them, like I'm in the same boat, I'm an addict. I'm just lucky that my addiction is socially acceptable. I'm a workaholic, you know, their addictions are not socially acceptable. And that's why, you know, it it gets them into all sorts of situations. And again, it's never about condoning what they they have done. I think there is a responsibility of the chaplain to help them accept that and take responsibility too. But when you get to the depth of humanity of the people, they, their stories, if you were to put people on the outside in their context and in their story and to understand what they've been through. You know, I look at men who end up, say, in closed prison going in with addiction issues and they manage to overcome that addiction living in a closed cell, in an environment that is hugely stressful, hugely traumatic, hugely dangerous. And I say to them, like, how did you do that? You know, because I'm in awe of them, how they actually managed. Because everything is going against them. If you're coming from a traumatic background, which they all are, and then you're being put in a traumatic situation, how? Like, I I am just completely in awe of how they manage to hold themselves and to transform themselves, they have such strength and resilience. It doesn't work for all of them. And I think that's one of the really heartbreaking parts of the job when you see somebody trying so hard and putting in so much effort. And then just something happens, you know, they're already at the top of their challenge, and then just something else kicks in and they crash. And that's very heartbreaking as a chaplain, where you've built up a relationship. You know, I remember talking to one of the officers one night and he was saying to me, you know, as chaplains, he said, you will see a side to these people that we never see because with us, they're defensive, they're on guard, so are they. So it's defence meets defence. Whereas with the chaplains, open space invites open space. It's not always accepted, the invitation, and that's okay. But we see the real humanity, the vulnerability, we see... people they were before they got into the situation that caused them to commit the crime, never mind the crime themselves. So, you know, when that officer said it to me that night, he said, you see a side that we'll never see. I said to him, actually, you should be a chaplain too. (laughs) You know, he's gone, on. I wouldn't be into that at all. But again, we just see such a different side to the people. That's, I, I never expected, you know, I thought I would be in there teaching yoga in these horribly challenging situations, the people that were incredibly difficult to deal with, but actually it's not. I I mean they're just they they humble me every time. You know, there's never a day I leave the prison where somebody hasn't really touched me and I've gone, wow. You know, back to that God encounter. You know, they have taught me something. You know, I see men who've been through challenges that I know I wouldn't have survived. And um, you will hear stories where things that never came up in court things that could have reversed their sentence, but they're either too ashamed or they were protecting somebody and they may never, never have told anyone, you know, and you sit with that going, wow, you know, and they will never disclose that to people or for for whatever reason, sometimes they will tell you why, sometimes they won't, but, you know, it, it's very humbling. There's, again, I, I just go back to the depth of humanity that you meet. If you want really deep, Authentic human encounter, go to prison. And the, the RZ Yoga class was a great introduction, but the chaplaincy really just brings you to the next level with it. it. It's like the spiral. I love the symbol of the spiral. You know, you go to the same place, but deeper and deeper and deeper.
0: Are there any issues that feel very specific to Ireland? Um, is there a lot of substance use or abuse? Um, what, what, if, what do you see that people are struggling with inside?
1: I'd imagine substance abuse is, is worldwide, I would imagine. Um, yeah, it, it's in the Irish prisons for sure. It's a huge challenge. It's probably the biggest challenge particularly maybe for younger people coming in that don't have addictions coming in. It's so hard for them to avoid getting into addiction while they're in prison. And that is just heartbreaking, I think, and um, that somebody would come in from whatever level of crime and then they would go out with addiction. And You know, I, I would always say to people when they're coming in, say with a short sentence, a young person with a short sentence, I would say to them, like, in a year's time, You could be out of here and putting this memory behind you and you're young enough that you'll move on and that this will just become a little blip in your history. Or in 10 years' time, you could be still sitting here. And the difference in those choices is getting into addiction. Because, you know, you're young, you're vulnerable, you're lonely, you're angry, you're stressed, you're anxious, you're not sleeping. Somebody in the next landing offers you something. It seems like a no-brainer. So again, I think as a chaplain, sometimes you can really have those hard conversations and really try to make them
0: realize the consequences. Mm-hmm.
1: But I, I would imagine that drug issue was is
0: worldwide. I, I agree. I think so too. I'm going to ask you one question, and then I think we've seen we have some questions popping in. So I'll, I'll yeah. uh, engage our audience now. At this time, uh, you can drop your questions for Gillian into the Q and A box. Um, but, you know, with Ireland being quite a religious country, what has, have you seen any challenges of bringing in yoga? Are they quite open to it? How, how does trauma-informed yoga and uh, quite a religious country, how do they blend together?
1: Yeah, that's a great question, Blair. And again, if you'd asked me that 30 years ago, probably the answer would be they just don't and they won't ever. Thankfully, 30 years later, they do. Now, they're still... You know, when people initially, I was saying I was doing yoga, they're going, "But oh, my God, you know, that's anti-religion. So I I was brought up in a very traditional Catholic background. But one, I, I often say, and people think I'm joking, the best thing I ever did was walk away from that faith, because I suppose back then it was something you were told to believe. And I think being told to believe something, it shuts you down. So... Through yoga, actually, I, I sort of became, like most teenagers, a disinterested Catholic, you know, a habitual Catholic. You went to because that's just what you did. Through yoga, I started on an to Damascus, going to yoga that day. And the whole yoga thing opened me into different circles, different groups, different beliefs, different philosophies, different practices. And I really love that because I experienced on an a net, you know, the... The best part of yoga is the coffee afterwards in the chat. I met so many different groups of people and um, really expanded my sort of world view of, of life. And then I came back to Catholicism, but on my own terms. So like my faith is very important to me. I would very actively practice my faith, but with a very different sense. So it's something now that I have experienced as opposed to being told to believe. And that is definitely what brings me to the prison. So even when I went in with the yoga at that stage, I was maybe a little bit on the fence and from the training we did, I was very conscious, you know, what James said that, like, obviously faith is something there is with the history of, you know, church issues and that there is a lot of people very strongly anti-Catholicism and all the rest. I, I fully appreciate that. So, you know, Church and religion can be traumatic. So I very much hold the space in the prison of this trauma-informed yoga. We're working with the nervous system. For some people, yes, it can become a spiritual practice. But for me, it was just a, a sort of scientific practice almost. And then whatever they get from it is okay. So if at the end they get into a space where they feel that sense of mystery and wonder and all, that's fantastic. But I'm not going to suggest that to them or name that to them. So then when I came in, as I say, as the chaplain, I think I had held my space wrong because they were quite shocked that I was going to be a chaplain and there would still be a little bit. You know, I'm sure some of the other facilitators will have had experience for chaplaincy was not OK with yoga and vice versa. But like, I think as as a world people, our, our worldview is expanding. Our worldview is becoming more diverse. Our worldview is becoming more integrated. that's a good thing so i think you know religious practice and faith has to hold space for yoga yoga has to hold space for religious practice and faith and i think by you know for me as a chaplain my own faith is hugely important to me because it's a very challenging job and you need to be very strongly rooted in your own traditional practice so you know i go to mass most days if i can if i'm not in prison I would meditate every night. I pray regularly. I pray for these men all the time. I'd never tell them that or they might run a mile, <laughs> you know. But my faith is what holds me in the space that I can then be an you know, open. I, I. It's funny. I always say I would try to offer an invitational space. And I was very gently trying to persuade somebody to do something. when she goes, yeah, Gillian, she's about as invitational as a sledgehammer. <laughs> so I'm quite persuasive when I need to be. But yeah, there has traditionally been that conflict between, but I think each can enrich the other. I really do. You know, it, it's it's again coming back to that search for meaning, which is what humanity is. All the struggle in life is about that search for meaning. And I think there's so much addiction and trauma and anxiety. It goes back to people having that deep search for meaning and deep search for purpose that we have lost. And You know, the faith and the religious practice, say that Ireland has gone from a a country where, you know, you nearly had religion with your breakfast, dinner and tea, whereas now most people wouldn't know what the inside of the church looks like. And a lot of the problems in our society come from that, that sort of loss of connection, that loss of the faith, that denying that sort of spiritual hunger and longing that we all have. And practices like yoga can bring you
0: back to that sense of wholeness.
1: And after that, it's sort of up to you where you go with this reading.
0: And I completely agree. Like the loss of divinity, the loss of sacredness. And it's not always just like in a religious context, right? It's like even nature. Even being farther away from nature, being disconnected from nature is us losing sacredness, is us losing wholeness. Completely agree yes we have a great it's that
1: sort of sense of you know reverence and a wonder and an awe and a sense of a bigger purpose and i think we all need to step back you know the materialistic world we live in and the chaos and the the addiction and i think so much of that is coming from the loss of that sense of spirituality and just a bigger purpose
0: i agree we have a, a great question. Our first question that ties in perfectly to this. Do you have any advi- advice on how to convince a prison psychiatric hospital to provide yoga to patients?
1: A prison psychiatric hospital, great. That's something we don't have. We also don't have even a psychiatrist in the prison, which is challenging. It's changing. Um, but yeah, I mean, there there is some... Res- I suppose I would always look at the person you're dealing with and part of the training we did in that prison yoga project, I I loved it because it was how do you apply to set up a program, whether you're dealing with the governor or a chaplain. And I I die laughing thinking of that now because it's such an obvious different cell to who you're dealing with. So I would want to know who's in charge of that facility initially And just connect with them and get to know where they're coming from. So some people love you bombarding them with science. So you can go and publish literature. And there's lots of published literature now to show the benefits of yoga for a lot of these conditions. So if it's somebody that that's their sort of focus, I would go on finding, you know, published literature research on how and why this works best. I would find out what their concerns or the blocks are. So is it a finance thing? Is it a space thing? You know, if you know what the problems are, then you can offer solutions. So I think just coming in and trying to sell yourself without knowing the context you're selling yourself in is challenging. If you can find where they're coming from, what the problems might be, and nearly have the solutions before they tell you the problems, that would always be the way I would try to negotiate, to have the plan before they know what the plan is. (laughs) And... It's always a negotiation. So if if you push too hard, people will shut you down. If you're not persistent enough, they'll just hope you go away. But definitely, you know, trying to find a way to connect and prove your value and persistence. Persistence is huge. I don't know if that helps at all.
0: I think that's a great answer. And then also know that as Prison Yoga Project, this is also something that we as like a national team would be able to support you in doing Mm too. So you can definitely just reach out to us as an org and we could connect you with Nicole and Amy, our national program director. Um, And they have a lot of experience um, also supporting other people in getting these programs inside. Um, Yeah, okay, great. They said that that very much answers their question fully. So perfect. Good luck. Good luck. (laughs) What advice would you give to facilitators and practitioners going inside uh, who are witnessing a lot of suffering? How do you support yourself um, and have self-care? I know that your faith is really integral to this, Mm. um, but any uh, specific advice for um, navigating the really turbulent internal space that we might be experiencing and really the the paradox of our work as well
1: yeah yeah that that's a great question and you know something that's very key to teaching yoga and to chaplaincy because you're choosing to go into this very intense very heightened emotion and i i suppose the advice i would give would be to go gently so don't get stuck into teaching five classes a week like If you could go in with somebody else who's already facilitating, that would be great if that is an option. If that's not an option, which it wasn't for me, you know, you need to sort of have your own support network, whether that's of yoga teachers or friends or people that you're just on a similar level with, because there's a huge thing about confidentiality in prison. So like I come home from prison and I will never discuss what I did in the day ever but you do need to have a group of people you can have that safe space with. So like in Shaft and we would have regular supervision where you bring things back to within that space. But I think just to go very gently to really whatever practice holds you, whether that's meditation or asana practice or walking in the woods, to really spend as much, if not more time on that and on a regular daily basis, to be very regularly checking in with yourself To watch yourself when you're in that space so you know I've had experiences myself where something happened and I felt myself reacting and getting triggered and to be aware you know my instinct initially was I must try harder but the answer to that was I must walk away because you're dealing with very vulnerable people and if you're bringing in your own issues you can actually potentially be so much more damaging to them so It's not even about you. It's about them, too. You know, you need to be very safe and grounded and integrated. So I suppose just having that support, whether that's through Prison Yoga Project, who are fabulous at offering that, or your own personal support and then your own practice, whatever that is, I think that needs to really ground you.
0: I completely agree. And I think... I feel like oftentimes we're protecting our partners and our family from what we see or what we witness. And we're not throwing our experiences onto them, but that can also be lonely. We do need to be in dialogue and we do need to be witnessed in this work because if not, it's going to just, it's almost like it piles up in us.
1: Yeah. And it can feel overwhelming. You know, as I say, there's times you just got there's so many people, you know, to so say I don't read newspapers or look at social media because if I do, I just go, oh, not another one. Like who's coming in today? You know? And ju- just while you say that, there's a beautiful Emily Dickinson poem. You know, sometimes you go home and you go, have I made a difference or have I done anything? And I love the words of Emily Dickinson. I wrote it down in case I forgot it. If I can stop one heart from breaking, I shall not live in vain. If I can ease one one life, the aching or cool one pain. Or help one robin, one fainting robin, onto his nest again. I shall not live in vain. So you know, rather than going in thinking I'm going to change the world, I'm going to change the society. When I leave the prison on the way home, or when I sit that night, I think, was there one person I made a difference? And I would challenge anyone who's been in the prison to go in and spend an hour there and not have changed something for one person. So I think in supporting yourself, you have to be very realistic. You know, what seems nothing to you could be so huge for them. So it's to be very realistic about your expectations of what you can do and then not to underestimate the value of what you do. So not to become overwhelmed by what just seems impossible.
0: Do you have a a routine or a ritual or when you leave the prison and you transition back into the the worldly realm? Yeah.
1: So when I in the open prison's beautiful wooded entrance and I have a little place I always pull in starting and I turn off the engine and I turn off my phone and I, I put everything down and I would just sit. Now every now and again the officers pass by and they're going, What are you doing there? You broken down. You're going, to no, don't mind, don't don't worry about it. And then again, when I leave, I tend to, when I come out of the closed prison, I check my phone first, which I probably shouldn't do. And then I turn it off again and I will sit. And it might only be for 10 minutes or for 15 minutes, but I will just sit and and let what's happened for the day integrate. And then every night without fail, I might not do a single sun salutation, but I will light a candle. I will sit and I will... Not even consciously go back over the day at that stage, but just sit with that sense of space and that sense of connectedness and whatever comes, and you might find then that an interaction that you hardly noticed when it was happening suddenly hits you and you go, Wow, that was huge. And and again, that's that God encounter where did that sometimes you're so busy on the landings that you don't even notice. But when you sit in that space afterwards. You go wow that was huge. So again, I would never go to bed at night without doing that because otherwise it sounds wrong when I say you're taking them to bed with you. So I never ever take them to bed with me. I that is my space where I I hand them back. So I I start my morning with the prayer every morning and I say whatever comes today, whoever comes today, you know, give me strength and courage to deal with it. And before I go to bed. I take that time just to let what has happened, you know, just be integrated. And I say, they're yours again now. You know, I've done what I can. I don't know if it was good. I don't know if it was bad. It's really none of my business. But I'm handing them back to you. And that means then each day starts fresh. So you're not carrying somebody from one day to the next. And you can sleep at night usually. Not always. Sometimes they come back to you again. <laughs> you try to give them back and it doesn't happen. But that's a me issue. That's me being too attached and thinking it's about me when it's not about me. So again, if, if you're facilitating, you have to sort of really surrender to that sense of the bigger power. We're only one tiny little link in that person's life, but also not to underestimate how valuable you can be as that link.
0: It's beautiful. I really hear you incorporating balance into these rituals.
1: Hmm. Yeah. I think it's survival. And and again, I want to be in the prison system for a long time. I don't want to burn out because if you're burnt out, you're, you're more potentially dangerous. You know, if you're having a day, you go, I just don't want to go in here today. Then you just shouldn't. You should walk away, you know, because they're too vulnerable. They really are too vulnerable. They can't be taken on your issues as well as their own, whether you're aware of that or not, or they are
0: thank you it's important yeah speaking to the diminishing public interest in spirituality do you find people that are incarcerated in ireland resisting engagement or practice of spiritual endeavors
1: yeah that's a great question jeff yeah i i find you sort of have to hijack them into it this is where i, I talked about my invitational model of chaplaincy but you know you you can you can be gently persuasive to you have to as i see it you have to become a part of the community so if i come in you know when i did i talked about that earlier we did this service of reconciliation last year and a priest volunteered to come in and that was great but i said to him like you need to be a presence here coming in once as a priest with the best intention is not going to do it, it's, I always say it's, it's a very vulnerable and complex community, and you need to become a part of their community. So, the way I put it, I need to earn my place at their table. It is their table. So, I can't just come in and go, come on, we're going to do this. So, until I earn my place with them, then they start to listen to you a bit more. So, you know, if I come in straight up and say, we're doing this, this, and this, they won't engage. And it's an open prison, so they don't have to do anything. So, you're wasting your time. But if you come and you're persistent and you're trustworthy and you're reliable and you keep showing up, and when things are tough, you show up and you don't run away. And if they're struggling, you sit with them. And if they're rude to you and you sit with them and they're angry with you, you sit with them. They start to go, well, you know, she's okay. You know, I had one guy, it, it always makes me smile. Like. It took him a long time to engage with me. If I was sitting at one side, he'd sit at the other side. But over weeks, he got curious, I'd say, about what I was about. And eventually he talked to me. And Eventually, he came to the chaplain's office and we sat for an hour. And then as he was going, he turns and he says to me, you know, I don't engage with chaplains, but you're okay." (laughs) So I sort of said, I don't know if I take that as a compliment or an insult. But you have to prove your worth in bringing your spirituality to them. Um, And sometimes a little bit of gentle persuasion to let them experience it. Uh, So, you know, I blatantly will bribe them. My daughter makes amazing cookies. So I've got guys who are doing this meditation. Would you like to come and we'll have cookies after, you know. So I've no shame, none at all, you know. And and if that's how you engage them. But then they come and they experience it and they go, that's actually okay. So, again, it's meeting them where they're at. It's meeting them on their terms. It's never about me pushing my spirituality on them. It's me witnessing who I am, me being present and sort of trying to show them what a life of faith looks like. So, again, I'm coming because of my faith, not of theirs. And if they see something in me that they go, wow, she's onto something, then they just might. And, again, it's none of my business if they do, if they don't. That's out of my hands. But, yeah, getting people to engage is hard. But, again, it's persistent. It's been very rooted in who you are. And a, a little bit bullying, gentle bullying. You know, you have to put yourself out there, too. If you sit in the corner, they won't come looking
0: for you. And I think you're speaking to something that we talk about at PYP or Prison Yoga Project quite mm. often, is that really so much of the foundation of the work that we're doing is relationships. Yes. And it's building relationships. And Mm -hmm. and that is also, you know, they oftentimes in the system called like pro-social or relationships are such a big piece of trauma and impact from people that are incarcerated as well as such a, a channel or a road or a path for healing too, and so you showing up in this way as a relationship and like you were speaking to showing up over and over and over and mm-hmm. over it's consistency, right? It's, it's building trust. It's relationship relationships with women, right? If someone have, if some of the mm-hmm. men have mother wounds or or whatever the case is, it's really the foundation of the relationship is healing in itself. Yeah.
1: Yeah, because, you know, so much trauma leads, leads to that loss of relationship and loss of social interaction. And again, I go back to the first bridge building or relationship building I do is them with themselves. First, if, if they're not forgiving themselves, if they're full of shame, they can't integrate with anyone else. And then if they start to integrate with themselves, you know, I talk about expanding their circle. So maybe they connect with me and they start to talk to me. You have to be so careful that you don't become their only person. So once somebody connects with me, you try to expand their circle, you try to get them in a group, you try to get them with somebody else in the landing, you try to connect them with another um, discipline within the prison. And again, then alongside that, you're trying to get them to either improve relationship or reconnect with their families. So in the open prison, we do programs where we do through psychology. I sort of hop into that for um, trying to reconnect, especially the men with younger kids. So say three to 12 year olds to do a weekly meeting with them in terms of connecting with their kids. And then we had a kids camp within the prison afterwards. So that was a whole new initiative. So, again, it's looking at what the problems are and how can we build on them. But you're right, it's that If you have trauma, your ability to have a relationship is so damaged and it's really building that relationship one, one step at a time. It's very slow work, but very sound work. You know, if it works, it works well.
0: And I'm, I'm hearing with your most recent share really about boundaries. Can you, maybe this will be one of the kind of last questions that we ask Today, too, is how do you keep strong boundaries in your work?
1: Yeah, that's really challenging. And again, I, I go back to that weekend, as I always do with the prison yoga project, because, you know, I learned so much. And I remember James saying, you know, you're not their mother, you're not their partner, you're not their sister. And that, the amount of times that goes through my head, and I'll even say it to them, I'm not your mother. You know, okay, they call me Sister Gillian because they think you're a nun. But um, and I I will say that to them. I'm not your mother, you know, so you do have to be. And in the way, I find the chaplaincy space easier to negotiate than the yoga teacher space. The yoga teacher, they nearly want to be your best friend. The chaplaincy, there's a little bit more. I, I don't know what it is. It's just easier to maintain the boundary in a very healthy way. And um, we have some lovely guys. We have one guy from Botswana, and he describes it. He says, No, no, I said, Call me Gillian, and he calls me Miss. And I go, No, call me Gillian. He says, No, I can't. He says, My mother kill me. You know, he says, In my culture, you're my elder. So I would never call you Gillian. You know, and it, it's not because, again, everything we do is in community, in a circle. So it's not that you're higher than them, but there is that little bit of differentiation that I think is useful. And particularly, again, I remember James very strongly saying that that training that it is better for women to work with women and men to work with men because trauma and sexual abuse is a huge part and parcel of that. And that is, I would say, probably not blatantly, but something I would hold the strongest boundaries around. So you have men in their 40s, 50s, 60s who've been in prison for decades and they are craving women's company so you really have to hold a very subtle space around that with them because it could be so damaging to them if they get into that wrong space so i think that whole boundary you know i, I so respected what james said and that and i even looked into women's prisons but something always drew me more to working with men um but that's the boundary i would hold strong because that sort of sexuality, like with them, you know, I I just think that one could go so badly wrong if you weren't careful around it. But it's challenging.
0: And I I was the same, I was like, okay, when I came to this work, I was like, I wanna serve youth, women, and maybe maybe men. Really wasn't sure, was really nervous, and I think that's a lot of people's concern. Um, You know, most, I'd say, yoga facilitators are women, maybe, maybe um, younger women as well. And I feel like I have a, a, a spirit joining me with these lights right now. That's <laughs> that, distracting me a little bit. Um, but I had the privilege of going inside and being with men. And it was so deeply healing for me. And I learned so much. And it was really like being able to put boundaries and spiritual practices into play. And I'm so grateful that I had that opportunity too. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's like, Oh, we have, we have a a story in our head. And actually I felt so safe and so protected even in the circle. And I, and I knew Mm -hmm. that, um, what a privilege to be able to feel safe in prison. Right. What a privilege just to speak to that.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah and that's you know
1: people say to me have you ever ever felt afraid and I can honestly say no now partially as the chaplain you know where you're there and you're advocating and you're working with them you're probably the safest person in prison realistically and um, that's not to say somebody could be on drugs and off their head and do something stupid you're you're always on guard you know you'd never you'd never sort of let that down but I have never felt afraid in the prison. I really haven't. There was one moment I remember early on, I was facilitating a class and there was a young guy who had just moved in and he was sort of a cheeky little pup, like, you know, and he was, I find sometimes when they come in, they're trying to prove themselves and they're all balshy and they're trying to, you know, be the man. And I can't even remember what he said. He made a comment that was like slightly a little bit of, And I remember just that split second of going, because I was with the group of seven or eight men I'd been working with regularly. And I remember thinking, oh, my God, they're going to pick him up and throw him out the window because they would be so protective of you. I said, they're going to kill him. And there was this split second of anxiety. And then I have three teenage kids, you know, I'm used to this sort of guff, And I just made some comment, get over yourself, get up there and get on with it. And the whole thing started. But that was the only slight moment I had of fear ever. But that was for him, not for me. <laughs> you know, because they would be so, you know, you're in that sense that they know you're one of them, you're on their side, you're for them, they would look after you, you know. And that's a privilege. That's a privilege.
0: I also really love, like, you know, you have uh, banter. Right. And how, and how oh, yeah. they're in play can really shift. Uh, oh, the- absolutely.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they have a coffee doc where they train as baristas. So I I, I mean, I would never drink more than one cup of coffee a day in days. I'm not in prison in days in prison. You have so many of them because they all want to make coffee. But it's also a great place for that banter. So, you know, you sit with a group of lads and then you move on to another. And you're just that's what I say about earning my place at their table you know I'm not coming in with my agenda I'm integrating in with them so I'm seeing things from their view and that has to be a sense of fun and it's okay there's a time for the very deep heavy conversations but you know you have to be a part of the fun of it too and that's that's magical and again the chaplaincy allows that space much more than the yoga teacher going in for an hour a week and having to leave you know so that's that's where the privilege is in it
0: and I will give you the mic for anything that hasn't been said or anything you want to speak to, any advice that you want to give to facilitators or future facilitators.
1: Yeah, well, I, I could stay here all night, as you know, but I I just think, one, I think the Prison Yoga Project are a powerful organization. I'm so delighted to be connected back because I did the training and then went off on my own limb. And, you know, really the support from the team has been huge. So I'd say anyone who's interested in doing the work, stay deeply. You know, let the Prison Yoga Project be your root, a part of your root if you have something else as well. But be a part of that community because it is an amazing community for support, for feedback. And, you know, there's no such thing as a silly question or a situation that you want to get advice on. And be very rooted in your own sense of whatever whoever you are be strong about that do your own integration work and things you have issues around don't be afraid to step back if it becomes overwhelming and just be really persistent and if it's something you're drawn to and you feel strongly drawn to you know it is such powerful work we really are the privileged ones um you know i I can't emphasize that enough what you will learn don't go in with the intention of telling them what to do and how to do it, go in with an openness to learning from them. And that will just shift your perspective hugely.
0: Thank you so much for your work and commitment. Thank you for going in with such integrity and such love. Thank you for being an incredible part of this community. And I'm so excited to have you back. Congratulations, (laughs) almost done with your chaplaincy. Yeah,
1: almost done.
0: Almost done. Got uh, another okay.
1: 50 assignments and a thesis, but that's almost done. It's a long road. <laughs> but they're my inspiration. And I say to the plants, you must have more time in your hands. Could you write this for me? <laughs> you yeah. know,
0: they're they're my partners, they carry me through it. <laughs> thank you for making the time. It was an absolute honor to host you. Thank you. Claire, and thank you everyone for
1: coming, for listening. It was it, it's a privilege. Fabulous.